Okay, so I think we know what a startup is now. Yeah, more or less. This is the QUT Blue Box Podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the QUT Blue Box Podcast. I'm your host, Tim McTaggart, and today I'm here with uh, my colleague, uh, Jotan Rosenbach. Hey, Tim. So your time's uh, entrepreneur in residence for IT at QT Blue Box. So uh, we, last week we said we were going to talk about uh, how you know your idea is any good, but we'll cover that next episode instead. In fact, what we're going to do is talk about our accelerator program, which is coming up really soon, so we thought it was worth covering that. Also today, after I've spoken to Yotam uh, about the accelerator, I'll be talking to Jared Doyle, who's going to cover the idea of growth hacking for startups, which will be really interesting. But first of all, uh, as I say, we're going to talk about our accelerator. So, your time, we've got our robotics accelerator coming out, which is pretty exciting. Right, yeah, the accelerator uh, kicks off uh, July 2nd. Yep. And will run for three months, and it is dedicated for any ideas related to robotics. Yep. And we ran this last year, right? And uh, I think what's important to know is we're doing two things. So you can come in with your own robotics idea, mm-hmm. but you can also come in and use one of SoftBank's technologies. And this year we've got sort of three awesome SoftBank bits of tech you can use. So Pepper, again, like last year. We've got a Goop, which is a big data locational-based sort of smart AI platform. Right. And we've got uh, QZSS, which sounds a bit odd, but it's a, an accurate GPS positioning system uh, that the teams can use to build a startup around. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this year, we'll be running uh, the Accelerator, I guess, on all Wednesdays uh, for full-day sessions. Open to anyone. Correct. Yeah. So you don't have to, to have a QUT affiliation. You just have to reside in, in uh, Queensland yep. and you're eligible to, uh, to apply. Yeah. And over the age of 18, right? Right. Yes. Correct. And the sessions uh, take, uh, well, they happen every Wednesday, uh, basically the, the entire day, Wednesday from July 2nd until September, uh, where the program ends with uh, Demo Day. Yeah. So to help people with how the accelerator works, we've kind of divided the next couple of months into a different period, right? So the first period is just straight information sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So people can come and see us. We'll be at QUT. We'll be at the Precinct in the Valley. We'll also be at the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast to give uh, the good folk down there the opportunity to participate as well. Uh, once we've done that, we're going to run some sessions where people can get familiar with the technology because part of the challenge with this is that they need to build a startup and, and pitch an idea to us to get in based on a bit of tech they haven't seen before, right? which is a bit of a challenge. right? Mm-hmm. But we're going to help with that. Not only are we going to help with that, we are also working to get uh, corporates and city councils as part of the accelerator. So they come, they have certain uh, problems that they want to, th- that they want teams to work on. Uh, and basically, we are facilitating uh, having a- an actual customer as your first customer being the, the corporate or the city council. Yeah, which is great, right? So. We're providing, hopefully providing uh, the customer, mm-hmm. we're providing tech, and what people need to bring to the table is good development skills, good business skills to kind of build their ideas and their businesses around that. And did we mention the fact that we are actually also giving them money to do that? Yes, yes we are. How much money are we giving them? $15,000 for each team that get accepted, yep. and then at the end of the program there is another pool of cash that will be uh, uh, divvied up. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is competitive. Right. And then uh, for the very best teams in the program, uh, we also plan to take them to Japan afterwards Mm -hmm. and also to the west coast of the US, so into Silicon Valley, to connect them into the robotics communities there as well. 
uh, yeah, important to, to note again that the accelerator is with partnership with SoftBank, which is one of the biggest uh, corporations out of Japan. They just acquired recently uh, Boston Dynamics. They have a stake in, in Uber and they are everywhere, basically. Yeah. And, and the third partner, of course, is Advanced Queensland, who's mm-hmm. been providing the funding right. and, and support for this whole program uh, yeah. since last year, which is great. So for people who are interested in applying for the accelerator, well, applications are open and uh, you can find them on our website. Uh, a few important things to note, uh, we want teams to actually be a team, so at least two or more uh, co-founders, and at least one of them should uh, have some technical background uh, and the ability to, or some you know, robotics uh, background. So to recap, three-month program, minimum $15,000. be eligible, you have to be a Queensland resident over the age of 18, working for teams, more than one person. You can apply on our website, www.qtwebox.com.au forward slash robotics. Applications are open now and they close on the 15th of June. Correct. So get your applications in and come to one of our sessions, learn about the tech, uh, learn about the process and we'll give you as much coaching as we can to shape your idea into something that makes sense uh, and, and you convey that really well and hopefully you can get into the program. Right. Okay, so I'm looking forward to running the program again this year with you, Yota. Likewise. Okay, so I had a conversation with Jared Doyle about growth hacking, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a listen to that next. Sure. So I'm here today for the second QUT Blue Box podcast with Jared Doyle, the founder of Fractal, which is a startup marketing agency. Yeah, um, agency, agency, consultancy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming in, Jared. And today we're going to talk about growth hacking. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right. So tell me, <laughs> what is growth hacking? <laughs> growth hacking is a buzzword which... Uh, I think not an intention, but it manages to really annoy marketers because they feel like it's undermining their discipline. But uh, in its essence, growth hacking is really about making short, sharp, measurable tests for your marketing. Um, and it tends to work for smaller businesses rather than larger organizations or brands. Yeah, right. Okay. So give me an example of what that means. Um, so growth hacking could be, for example, uh, testing landing pages. Um, and so... So my, my history has sort of been working either at startups or large agencies, media agencies. Now, for a large client, I might have to produce a lot of research, best practices, UX, UI guides and papers to justify a decision. We consider it. We talk to lots of different departments. And it's a long, laborious process. Now, working with startups and being more of a growth hacker means I come in with a theory that says, I wonder if the button would be better if it was blue or green. And everyone says, okay, well, let's just test it. And whichever one gets more clicks wins. Um, so with growth hacking, you basically come up with a theory, um, come up with the way you're going to test it. You look at what success might be. You run a really short window. You test. Uh, if it doesn't work, great. If you get some kind of statistical significance out of it, well, then, you know, you basically bake that into the core product and roll on. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like the whole approach to startups in general. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like the agile solution to marketing. If you think about agile programming and, and being nimble, yeah. that's where growth hacking really makes a difference. Yeah, right. So how does a, a small business, like a startup business, do growth hacking? Um, where do you start? Yeah, well, I think the first thing you do is you don't hire a large agency and outsource all the work. Yeah. Um, and you make sure that you tie your product or your service in really closely with your marketing. Yeah. So if you can imagine a large company with separate silo departments, um, you know, marketing is its own department, sales is its own department, um, products, etc. Um, what we do with startup marketing is we, we keep that team closely together. So the product is closely tied towards marketing, which is closely tied to customer service. Um, and really, you know, if you're a founder of a small company or even just the owner of a small business and you want to sort of take some lessons on, the trick to this is to test everything. So it's just coming up with an idea every week if you can at a minimum 
and saying, I'm going to test which one of these works better. That could even be as simple as old school flyers through the letterbox. Which one works better? You know, put a different, you know, a different phone number on two different styles, two different colors of paper, different sizes, whatever it might be. Whichever phone number gets the most calls wins. Um, and that's, that's an offline version. Obviously, most of what I do is online, but, um, that's basically it. It's a simple theory. It's a way to test it, measure it. And then, you know, whichever phone number wins might be, say, group, uh, blue pamphlets versus green pamphlets. If green wins, well, from now on, you use green pamphlets. Yeah, right. So how do you tie that into kind of a long-term marketing strategy? Cause I mean, here you kind of, you can sort of pivot all over the place and end up somewhere quite different to where you kind of intended to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, Look, in its purest form with growth hacking, you can actually change the direction of the entire business. Yeah. So it is possible that you could be testing something and discover an unbelievable discovery to your, your product, your core proposition. You might have been thought you were selling, you know, blue widgets to dentists and what you didn't realize actually it was just the dental assistants that were buying it and you sort of have a different customer base. So it might be that it's actually patients who are buying it off dentists um, and so on and so forth. So you have to be willing to pivot your business based on what you learn from growth hacking. So it's it's yeah, wow. it's an all-in business decision to do. That's amazing. Have you seen that kind of pivoting happen before? Um, I have, um, both myself and, you know, other businesses. I mean, you know, the famous examples, and not, you know, these companies don't necessarily um, start in this position, but you think about companies like Slack and Twitter who didn't, yeah. that wasn't their core product, but then in a way being willing to adapt to what people actually want to use your product for is, I guess, the value. Yeah, right. And you must have to work really closely as a team to make this work, right? Yeah. So so typically a growth hacker is a marketer. Um, now, you get a lot of growth hackers now with no marketing credentials. Um, I like to think that a degree still counts these days. And so, yeah, well, uh, you know, a bit of... So we agree too. Yeah. <laughs> a, a bit of theory actually makes a big difference. So as with any new topic, you get a lot of Johnny Come Latelys who turn up and have a few tricks. Um, so it is a marketing discipline. Um, but what you really need is a combination usually a team of three a minimum of two so you have a product person and probably a tech person and the combination of those three represent your growth hacking team and um it, it kind of actually marries up really nicely to the way you see um weekend hackathons run you know you yeah. typically have your three people in a team yeah. a growth hack team probably the same kind of combination yeah, yeah. so the hipster hacker hustler kind of exactly is exactly where you end up so you know there's actually in some ways you know there's Hacker weekends are exactly how a growth hack team in a company might work. Now, if you happen to work at a larger company, the trick to making this work is to be able to pull yourself out, create a separate team that can be siloed, where maybe you don't have to report up to a, a higher authority to get something yeah, done. Yeah. Um, but it's it, look, it's it, again, it's it's based around the discipline of marketing. Um, you do need to follow some basic marketing principles. You can't yeah. just come up with completely yeah. crazy ideas. Um, and because part of the, the rationale behind growth hacking is that you do have a theory first. So um, maybe you don't spend weeks and months justifying a decision, but that experience as a marketer or that understanding of the basic rules means you've got some ability to break them. Yeah, right. I think um, people people fall into the habit of sort of trying to reinvent the wheel, but they don't learn how to make a wheel first. Is yeah, it? Right, a yeah, misconception. So. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I really understood what growth hacking was until just now, which is great. And it, it comes across as some sort of, I don't know. Again, one of those. It's like a black. It seems like a black box. I mean, what's growth hacking? Doesn't tell me anything about what it is, right? <laughs> no. Where did the term come from? I mean, I don't even get it. I, I suppose it's to help you grow, right? And it's hacking rather than systematically sitting down, planning, and doing long-term building. Yeah, I think. Um, well, the hacking element part of it is is one of those things where, in its in isolation, you think hacking that's not a positive thing. The mm. idea is a bit like. Um, 
we talk about marketing ideas that go viral. Well, up until then, you know, having a virus or being viral wasn't a good thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, if your product goes viral, it's a great thing. Um, so I think hacking's got the same brand problem or naming <laughs> problem. But um, look, the hacking element is more about not being completely diligent and exploring all opportunities. Yeah. So it's about doing something quickly. And rather than saying, look, let's test 100 variations. So let's just say, for example, I've got a product I want to go to market and I'm not sure what age bracket I want to target. Now, in theory, I could break ages from 18 to 100 up into one-year groups, create Facebook audiences and test every single one of them. But to do that, you know, I'm running then 80 different tests. Um, my gut feeling might be that I know it's going to work with an 18 to 25-year-old audience. So growth hacking is about saying, let's just go with that audience. Let's not spend the entire house on a completely robust study. It's not scientific in a sense that you could write a journal about it. It's about trying to get to what's most likely to be the correct yeah. solution. Yeah, yeah. This is great because, I mean, as I say, it seems to sink in with that whole approach to startups generally, right, where you don't you don't sit in a room, close doors, do a business plan, you know, hire a team and then go out and build it and then find out if somebody wants to buy it. You know, you go out and, and just talk to your market, find out who your market is and develop the product to suit their needs. And it just it sinks in really close. Did it come from a, a startup kind of background or? Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure really who, who gets the... They um, <laughs> claim to it. Um, there's, there's a bunch of people out there that have been doing it for a while. There's a gentleman in the US called Sean Ellis, mm. who seems to be one of the more authorities on the area, if you can have an authority on a, yeah. on a largely undefined topic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you the veterans of, of growth hacking are people who did it before it got a name, I guess. Um, and you can imagine the kind of companies that hired growth hackers first. You know, these were Uber, uh, Dropbox, Eventbrite, yeah. Um, it, it's those kind of companies that get the idea of growth hacking. Um, I think it only became a discipline a little bit after they'd already had some success. Yeah. And do they cover growth hacking in uni in, in the degrees? I think that's a long way off yet. Um, I think, look, uh, I think eventually it'll happen. You know, it'll be, it'll be a combination. It'll probably work across marketing and, um, sort of IT departments. And I think it'll be sort of the agile framework will mar- make its way across. Yeah. Um, probably a couple of years before it makes its way into education yeah, levels yeah. yet. So what do you say to a marketer who wants to do some growth hacking with a startup and where do they start? How do they understand what they need to do and, and how to go about it? Because I'm sure it's not self-evident, yeah. right? No. Um, I mean, look, there's, there's look, if you want to do growth hacking, basically it comes down to running experiments. So if all, if you don't do anything else and you want to start doing it, you come up with an idea of running an experiment for some marketing you want to do for your business. So whatever that theory happens to be, and, and this is where you realize growth hacking has kind of always existed. It just didn't get its own name. Um, you just come up with your idea, whatever that idea is, and you just go, okay, we'll run it as two groups, split them, and see which one works. Um, the easiest platform, the one that basically has growth hacking built into it is Facebook. Facebook allows you to split your audiences by demographics, by interests, um, all sorts of different levels. That, that in effect, is a, is a version of growth hacking. Yeah, okay. And this is, this is what you do at Fractal, right? Growth hacking and, and traditional marketing too? or Yeah, well, I, you know, so Fractal for me is is kind of marrying up two parts of my career. So um, I sort of describe my, my career as being founding three startups and launching three agencies. Um, but they're very different things. You know, the agencies were very much built around my marketing degree and, and best practices, whereas the startups are very much growth hacking. You know, you're yeah. coming up with an idea. So with Fractal, it was kind of this idea that um, and, you know, like all good ideas, I'm assuming it's a good idea, it's something you only realize in retrospect. And you realize my career had been working 
at startups and then I'd gone and worked at an agency and then back at a startup and back at an agency. And then you have this epiphany where you realize, why don't I just do consulting for startups and combine the yeah. two? So instead of having two careers and yeah. two tracks, I can actually combine the two. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, just working, I work exclusively with startups. Um, and that's, look, it's not necessarily a rule where it has to be a startup, mm. but by practice, if you're a huge organization, you can't really grow that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it tends to be working for founders and look, I mean, I enjoy that. I enjoy working with the person who actually, you know, I'm probably spending their money or their shareholding. Um, and, and the reason is, is I get to the difference for me between a, a client who's paid a salary and is like a manager and a founder is a founder actually wants to find out their marketing is not working. Um, and what I mean by that is a founder wants to know if they're spending money and not getting a return. Whereas a marketing manager for a large retail organization, the last thing they want to hear is their marketing is not working because they've got to report that. It's not their money, it's their job. So if you think about that being the difference, um, that's pretty much the single reason yeah. why I like working with startup founders. Yeah, and that's fantastic because, I mean, I know when I had my startup, you know, trying to do my own marketing, and it was probably pretty ham-fisted because it was just me, but I could never tell if there was a return on investment, right? You know, I, I was saying to someone just today, I do promotional work on Twitter, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, but don't even know, that I didn't ever get a single sale through my, you know, what I was doing on Twitter, and that's chewing up my time, and I have no idea. Yeah, and it's, it's not uncommon, and and that's the beauty of starting first with the thought of an experiment is because if you take a scientific view view of how you approach your marketing, you say, well, how can I run an experiment if I don't measure it? So the first thing I have to do is measure. Measuring means tracking. Tracking means installing some form of technology that allows you to see the results of your campaign, um, and that's what makes the real difference. So you know, it is about measuring. It's about working out the cost of your acquisition costs. So your you know, your CAC. Yep. as it's called, yep. and then um, and putting that over your, your your lifetime value, so what your LTV, what you actually think those customers are going to be worth to you. Um, but if you're not tracking, you, you're not growth hacking. Yeah. You're just guessing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of So those two things combined, so one, it's in sync with that sort of dynamic of a startup business development generally and product development, and plus it also tightly links, you know, what you're doing with the return so you don't have these long campaigns where you don't really know for a long time whether you're getting a return or not, and when you find out, it's too late to change it anyway, and yeah. you've sunk all that money. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm I'm seeing more and more that this mentality of digital tracking um, and measurement, and that's why most growth hackers tend to be digital marketers first before they move into the space. Um, but digital is becoming a front runner to traditional advertising. So. Whereas I might have been putting together a campaign for TV advertising and we do Roy Morgan research and look at interest groups in media consumption, you can actually do a much more robust media plan now by running Facebook ads, working out exactly what messaging, what demographic you want to target, what the interests are like, and then overlaying that onto a TV buying schedule. So we've kind of turned the whole game around now. Um, instead of digital being an afterthought, you're actually better off as a traditional business working out your digital tracking, getting a plan, and then before you overlay this campaign into a media where you um, you know, you might not actually be able to measure the result, you go in with a level of confidence saying, well, this exact imagery, messaging, audience works online, ergo, I'm going to believe that it's working on TV even though I can't track a TV click. Yeah, that's cool. And again, it aligns with that idea, and you listen to people like Steve Blank, right, that you know, the startup's are a temporary organization trying to find a repeatable business model. Once you've got the business model right, you're not kind of really a startup not by that definition and you bring your foot to the floor to grow same thing here you, you kind of do that exploratory work based on a hypothesis not not a wild guess um, but once you've got it locked 
then you can put the resources behind a, a more structured campaign you know, to really drive that growth. Yeah, and that and that's it. It's, it's part of an evolution, and, and the growth hacking element will fall away um, more and more as the business becomes solid. So, you know, in the first stages of a startup, you're very much looking for that product market fit. Can you actually find customers who are going to pay? And growth hacking works well with that. Growth hacking works brilliantly through that second phase where you're trying to prove that you've got a scalable business model. Um, at that point where it becomes scalable, you do naturally fall back into more traditional marketing technologies. Um, but the, I guess the difference at that point is if you can still keep the growth hacking mentality, you can put 90% of your budget towards media and marketing that you know is going to work. If you can keep 10% isolated and keep that testing and learning, then you're in a great place. Yeah, right. And do you see companies making that transition and still be able to manage growth hacking or do they kind of you know, solidify and become a traditional business? Um, the, great, the great example of that was uh, Twitter. Um, I was at StartCon a few months ago in Sydney and um, they used the example of Twitter and it went through this period where it had a flat quarter. It wasn't actually growing as a business and they brought in a new head of product who, you know, slash marketing who really would be a growth hacker these days. Um, came into Twitter and sort of the first question he asked was, you know, how many experiments were you running? Um, and this came back, I think they were running one or two a month. Um, and so he basically implemented this idea that at any one point in time, they should have 10 experiments running at any, any given day and they should all be finishing within a week. Um, and Twitter absolutely took off as a business. Um, unfortunately, after they had a couple of wins, they then locked back down to their old ways and said, we've got the answer. And then they stopped growing again and that yeah. growth team left. Um, so I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard for brands to who are established to defend themselves because, again, you get to this situation where people don't want to find out they're wrong. Yeah. You know, a, a, a traditional business will keep flogging a dead horse doing a, you know, an arcade business model until the day it basically dies. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's where the incentive is. It's not to sort of throw something out and say, yeah, Uber's coming along, we're a taxi company, we're probably in some trouble. It's sort of head in the sand business approach. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds challenging, but it sounds like fun too, right? Uh, look, it, it, it's way more challenging. You know, you, I mean, apart from anything else, you've got clients that can go bankrupt on you in any yeah, given yeah. week. Um, but yeah, look, it is, it is a lot more challenging. It's not something from a consulting point of view. Um, I like to think I've done enough now that I've got a reasonable level of confidence. It's not something I would have wanted to be doing, uh, in my earlier years, um, because you are dealing with people's you know, actual money, their savings. Yeah. It's not It's not the sort of yeah. the blind banker who's paying for these things. Um, but it, it's a lot more fun and, you know, you do get that moment of sort of the high-fiving when you get stuff that's right. Um, when you can save a founder 50% on their acquisition costs because you sort of had this hunch and you test it, you know, that, that's that's a lot more than kind of, you know, Christmas drinks with a client. That That's a real win for them and their whole business. So, you know, you, you actually become closer to the founders. I like to think I'm part of most of the teams. Yeah. But yeah, look, it's it's infinitely harder, and and the reason it's harder is the status quo isn't success. You know, the the, the point where you take over, it's not a case of trying to find a half a percent, one percent better buying rates or you know optimization or click through rate. You're talking wholesale changes here. Fifty, one hundred percent changes are, are part of the course. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've got to have hopefully a lot of experience before you get in. Like I said at the start, you want to um make sure you're making big slicing moves and saying, ah, oh, my gut instinct is this. Let's test it. Yeah. Yeah, Other areas of growth hacking that are well worth looking at are um, sort of as you go a little bit further on. So you know, there's the front-loaded part of it, which is very much market-oriented, marketing-oriented. So we're talking about how you reach, who you're speaking to, what the message might be. Um, the second part of growth hacking is where you start to move much more into the on-site experience or the, the engagement with the customer. 
So, you know, you can see the rise of um, net promoter scores, so NPS scores. Yeah. That That's now just par for the course. Everyone out there who's got any ambition of understanding whether they're succeeding is measuring the NPS. So that's, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what they are, that's the, the, you know, the email you get whenever you sign up to a new service. And I ask, how would you recommend, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend rate us zero to 10? So an NPS score basically says any score below eight is neutral and I think below six is negative. Yeah, right. Um, so really, unless you're giving someone a nine or a 10, you're not going to promote them. Um, and that's because the promoter score is all about the idea that if I'm not absolutely in love with your product, I'm not going to tell a friend about it because that's me lending my personal brand to your product. Um, and it works well because the psychology of most people is you feel like giving a score of seven is it's more than average and it's not quite at the top. And that's why an NPS score knows that seven actually is not a great score. Um, whereas if you give someone a five or a four, that's, that's really hammering them hard. Now, one measure of this is just to look at the score. So if you've got to start up and you've got an NPS score of nine, you can be very happy with that. That's a fantastic score. The next level of that is to sort of start breaking down the, and that's sort of very quantitative, if you like. The next stage is to look at it from a qualitative point of view. Mm. So that's where you start looking at the second part of that survey, which is always, why did you give us this response? And that's where you get a bit more into the, the guts of why someone might be giving you a negative score. Um, but also why they're giving you a positive score. I've got a client at the moment, and every single time they get a score of nine or 10, you can always see the same words pop up, which is convenient, efficient, um, easy, you know. And so for this particular product and, and service, it's it's not about cost. Their business is all driven by the ease of use. So even though you're getting nines and tens, it's the question is why you're getting those nines and tens. Um, so if you can build into that, then you're in a great place. Um, and then what happens is the next layer of growth marketing is really deal, diving into the product. So that's where you stop and you look at your product and you say, okay, well, what can we do to adapt that product to the needs and, and even test exactly how you do it? Um, and that gets right down to some of the easiest split testing you can do, which is pricing, yeah. you know, different pricing models. Um, and again, growth hacking is about not just saying, let's just run all the different prices. It's about, so you, you could price anything from $1 to $100. But it's about making decisions around what might be right for the business, what the optics of a price point might be. Um, so it's about saying, well, I've got a couple of theories. I'd like to test those first. So it's not, again, testing every price point from $1 to $100. It's saying, well, let's let's try a midpoint, a low and a high. Let's see what it is to put a consultative price point at the top end. Um, these are all things that you know, a growth hack market should build in. Yeah. So it sounds, I mean, I, I like the simplicity of the approach. It's really appealing. It make, Obviously, I've said a couple of times, it makes sense at that top level, but then you open the box and there's so much to it, so many different ways to do it, so many things you can attack. What do you say to the sort of startup that wants to start down the growth hacking path? Where do they begin? I think the first thing you do is, uh, I think start split testing on Facebook. Start looking, assuming you've got, you know, it's a, it's a web-based business, split testing your advertising so understand who your audience is. Make sure you get some kind of NPS score on. Look at split testing, getting something like an optimizely. Um, or any other, even Google's got their own split testing software, so you can test landing pages, messaging, um, definitely start testing price points, and just start plugging away, and just set yourself the goal to do an experiment, like I said, at least every week, even, and, 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 and set yourself the objective to do experiments, not necessarily to do experiments that work. So, you know, success shouldn't be measured by the number of experiments that work, it should be the number of experiments you do. Because what happens is sometimes it's those experiments you don't think are going to work or you're not really sure about. They're the ones that often open your eyes up to a whole new path, I guess, of positioning for your business. Cool. 
And if people listening to the podcast want to reach out to you, how would they find you? Uh, easiest way is to go to fractal, that's F-R-A-C-T-A-L.com.au, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Twitter. I sort of hang around all those places. LinkedIn's yep. now my, my medium of choice. I think it's it's kind of turned a corner and it's now actually valuable as opposed to just being an online business card. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, you know, I've got my, I've started my own podcast where I'm trying to help people out. So if you've got uh, growth hacking questions or you want an idea for your business, uh, the concept of that podcast is that people send me in their questions and I answer them live. So if you've got a business and you sort of say, what would you do first or what would you look at? That's my goal. My goal is to give that free advice um, over a podcast, not only for you, but obviously to share it with everybody else so we all learn at the same time. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you in. Thank you very much for having me. Too. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, that was great. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like the approach. It seems to fit well with the startup methodology. So good to hear that sort of there are these marketing tools that fit really well with, with what we teach uh, people to do with their, their startups. Right. So that's it for this episode. Thanks, your time for coming in. Sure. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. So next time, uh, we'll be going through how you can tell whether your idea is any good or not. So if you want to kind of listen in and find out ways to work out whether your idea is any good or not, then that's a great episode to, to listen to. Uh, I'll also be talking to people who've been through our programs before. So for the listeners who have the chance to hear firsthand from people who've been through our programs on entrepreneurship, uh, what those people have learned from that and what they're doing now, which will be really exciting. So that's it for this episode. Looking forward to next time. Uh, and join us again on the QG Blue Walks podcast.